All right, so today we are concluding our sermon series on marriage. We're just doing a quick four-week sermon series. Our first sermon was on uh, communicating kindly in marriage and the importance uh, of that, to be able to communicate kindly with our spouses in marriage, uh, especially when it comes time to talk about tough things, uh, when you have to have those hard conversations, when there's disagreements in the marriage, how important it is that we still are able to love each other and communicate kindly through that. In the second week, we talked about physical intimacy in marriage and the place it has in marriage and the importance that it has in marriage and why it's in marriage. Then the third week, we talked about raising children within our marriages and what that looked like, what it, how it was important that we modeled the gospel in our marriage as we parent children so that they not only hear the gospel, but so that they see it in our lives and so that they know that God loves them and cares for them and we're a reflection of God our Father to our own children in our marriages. Now today, we uh, get to end on the extremely light topic of finances in our marriage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is definitely one of those topics where you might need to remember the first sermon on communicating kindly with each other in marriage uh, because we can have some some severe differences in where uh, we think we should place our money in marriage, what we think we should do with our finances. People value different things, and that's definitely true in marriage. Uh, depending on the study you read, uh, finances is either the number one or number two reason uh, that people get divorced. Uh, in America, it's number two. In some other countries where uh, uh, infidelity is, I guess, more expected in your marriage, it's actually number one in those countries. Um, in, in the U.S., infidelity is number one. Uh, but in, as you read those studies, it becomes clear that it, it's not the lack of money that causes divorce. It's not too much money that causes divorce. What happens is a disagreement on how you are going to use the money you do have that ends up leading to these divorces. And so uh, we want to address this today uh, because, hey, let's face it, uh, anybody who's been married for any length of time, I'm sure money came up pretty early on. I know it did in our marriage. Um, just this difference in, uh, I'm going to tell a little bit of an embarrassing story here. Uh, embarrassing for me. My wife was pregnant. It was our first year of marriage. I was a seminary student. She was the, you know, working at, at Starbucks. That was our income. Uh, and, uh, we were trying to stay on budget and she had this craving for Burger King on the way home from a hospital visit. And I was like, no, it's not in our budget. She sat there and cried. And, uh, I unfortunately was a complete jerk and not very understanding. But in that moment, we had a difference in opinion on, uh, what our finances should be going towards. I was wrong. I can freely admit that now. I should have just bought the Whopper. Um, <laughs> But, uh, you know, like I said, that was within our first year of marriage, and it's something that continues and goes on uh, in, in marriage. And though we are talking about finances in the context of marriage today, uh, the principles that we're going to be talking about apply to you no matter where you are in life, whether you've been married 50 years, one year, you're getting ready to be married, you'd like to be married someday, you never want to be married, doesn't matter, any of the those circumstances, the principles we're going to be talking about today will apply to your life. Uh, but we are going to look at it in the context of marriage because we want to be unified in our marriage. 
We want to be of one mind. We don't want to have a, this is what I do with my money and then you know this is what my wife does with her money attitude because that takes away from what marriage is. Marriage is taking two separate people and joining them into one entity. And so we don't want to look at our finances as your finances and my finances in our marriage, but as our finances. And as Christians, we want to be unified in making sure that we use our finances in a way that glorify God. We want to make sure that how, whatever we do with our money is done in a way that it brings God glory, that it shouts the, the worthiness of God as uh, our Creator, as our Savior, as uh, the pillar of our marriage. And so the text for today's sermon uh, was Luke 16, 10-11. I'm going to just once more read 16.10. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. We're going to be using that verse today to guide us as we talk about our finances. What does it look like for us to be faithful with our finances in our marriage? And as you read on, as Jeff read on in that passage, it's interesting that the little that is being talked about here does not refer to an amount. Okay, we're not talking about if you're faithful with a little bit of money. We're talking about money is that little thing, which kind of might rearrange how we think about money. Money seems to be a really big thing, right? It seems to take up a lot of our time, a lot of our thought, a lot of our discussions. And yet here Jesus is saying that earthly wealth is a little thing. And that we need to be faithful with it so that we're faithful with more important spiritual things. Because spiritual things have eternal consequences. They carry on not just in this life, but into the next life. And if we want to be blessed spiritually, if we want to have great spiritual responsibility and spiritual blessings, we have to be faithful then with our earthly money. We have to be faithful in it. Whether we have a lot of it, whether we have a little of it, we need to be faithful with it so that we can be trusted to be faithful with the greater things that God has for us. When I was young, I was in Boy Scouts uh, and we had to, you know, you get all your different pins and I was getting my uh, pin for religion. And we were, uh, this is in third grade, there's a bunch of us Boy Scouts were at this Lutheran church in some small town in Kansas, I'm not sure which one it was. Uh, and, but the pastor there who was leading us through this had this really cool pen. It was a fountain pen that you could, you know, reload and it was like a green tortoise pattern and it was, it was like, had this gold around it. And all of us, like the nine of us that are in there were just in awe of this pen as he's like signing his name on our certificates. We're like, oh, that pen is awesome, you know? And we start talking to him about this pen. And this pen, it turns out, is really expensive, right? It's got real gold on it, and it's a fountain pen. And we're like, man, where did you get that pen? And so the pastor started to tell us the story of this pen. He'd wanted this pen a long time. It was a, 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 he'd seen it, and he wanted it, but his wife was like, we are not dropping however much it was on that pen, because you can't keep a pen for a day. You will get that pin and you will lose that pin. It'll be over and that money will all be out the window. So what he did was he bought a pack of Bic pins and he labeled them one through ten. And he said, if I can keep each one of these pins just using one at a time until each pin is empty, then at that point I will prove myself with these pins and I can then go buy the expensive pin. And his wife agreed. And so at first it was a little rough. 
But then he got going to the point where he would keep one, you know, 25 cent Bic pen until it was completely used up and then move on to the next one and the next one and the next one. And finally, his wife was like, you have proven that you can take care of these small cheek pens and now you can go, you know, I have no problem with you going to buy that really expensive pen and using it. And he had that pen years at this point when we, we all saw it. Well, that's what it is like for us. If we want the greater spiritual things that God has for us, the spiritual blessings and the spiritual riches, we have to prove that we're going to be faithful with our money. Because if we're not going to be faithful with that and we're not going to do what God would have us do with that, what makes us think that we're going to do differently if He were to bless us spiritually? We'll take that same mindset into the spiritual realm. And we don't want to do that. We want to be faithful. Uh, well, we don't want to do that if we're in bad practices money-wise. If we're in great practices money-wise, we do want to continue that. But that's what we're going to be addressing today. What does it look like for us to be faithful with our money that which sometimes seems so important, but is actually less important. What does it look like for us in our marriages to be faithful with our money so that we can be faithful with the greater things that God has for us? To start with, we need to make sure that money is in its proper place in our marriage. We just talked about this, that money is viewed as this little thing when compared to spiritual things. We need to make sure that in our marriage, money is not the ultimate thing that we're all worried about. That that's not what our trust is in. That that's not what our faith is in. Our security cannot be in our money. In our marriage, God always is primary. He must be first. Our marriage must be built on the, the pillar of God, our faith in God, our trust in Him because of what He has done through His Son Jesus. Because of the Gospel, Our trust, our faith has to be in God in our marriage. It cannot be in our money. That cannot be the foundation of our marriage. Uh, You know, we're we're warned in Luke later, just in 16.13, so just a few passages down, or a few verses down, that we cannot uh, serve both God and money. We can't do it individually. We can't do it in our marriage. We cannot serve both God and money. We have to serve God and God alone in our marriage. We have to desire God and being godly above all else in our marriage more than we desire money. And we have to trust God and God alone. We cannot put our trust in our finances. Because that, those, if our trust is in our finances, that trust is only good as long as the status quo remains, right? As long as we have the money, as long as we have the job, and it, you know, then that's great. Our marriage can be built on that. But as soon as that starts to change, then all of a sudden our marriages can start to fall apart. Uh, I knew a couple who it was this way. They were uh, the husband had owned a business. Uh, it had been a very successful business, and so they had grown accustomed to great wealth in their marriage. They lived in a nice house in a nice neighborhood. They drove nice cars. They would not be caught dead in clothes from Target or Walmart. They wanted the nicer things in life. That was all that they cared about. That's what their marriage became built around. And over time, as the economy changed, the business wasn't really viable anymore. And so they were going to have to close that business down and have another source of income. And the husband wanted to start a new business. Well, anybody who has started their own business can tell you that it is rough those first few years. 
It's, you're not sure if the cash flow is going to be there. You're not sure if you're going to be able to make ends meet. It's tough. And the wife at this point decided that she no longer wanted to, to be in that stage of life. And because, there, at least from her perspective, perspective, her marriage had been built on having that money, she chose to leave her husband. And that marriage ended in divorce. Because their trust wasn't in God, their trust and their marriage had been built around the pillar of their finances. And when that changed, then their marriage fell apart. On the flip side, I've seen many couples whose finances have been uncertain for many years. They've worked hard, but they've just never had the money. They, they just seem to live paycheck to paycheck. And they've had to make late career changes in life. And yet, their marriages remain strong because the pillar of their marriage was God. Because who they trusted in their marriage was God, not in what they had in their bank account, not in what house they were able to afford or car they were able to drive. And so in our marriages, to be faithful with our money, we cannot worship it and we cannot have it as primary in our marriage. It has to be a secondary thing. We cannot place our trust in it. We can only place our trust and our faith in God in our marriages. So that is the first thing that we have to do in being faithful with our money. And everything else will flow out of that. Because we trust God and not our money, we can go to God's Word, we can see what God's Word says we should do with our money, and then we can apply that to our lives. And we can obey Him willingly because we are trusting in Him because He's proven trustworthy, right? He has created us. He has saved us at a cost to Himself. And because of that, we can be obedient to what His Word says we should do with our money in our marriages. And so as we start to go through these things, is as a husband and wife, if we align ourselves to what God's money or what God's word has said, that, that can start to take some of the argument at least out of what we're going to do with our money. Because some of these just aren't up for debate. Um, you know, I'm not Dave Ramsey. I'm not going to get up here and give you like a, a bunch of line items. You should be doing, you know, 20% towards this and all that. He, he's a great author. I highly recommend his books. Uh, but if that's what you're hoping for, I'm going to disappoint you a little bit because I'm not going to get cut down into percentages here. But we are going to dive into these principles of what we should be doing with our money. These items should absolutely be in our budget as we go forward. And so the first thing is, is that in order to be faithful in our money, we use it to glorify God through generous giving to the mission of God through the local church. So this has been seen clearly throughout the Bible. You start way back in Genesis, all right? We start with Abraham. Let's look at Abraham. What Abraham did was uh, some invading kings had come into his land. It actually kidnapped some of his, uh, Abraham's relatives. Abraham gets a bunch of his men together. They go, they, they fight these kings. They actually win. They bring back all the loot that the kings had stolen and then some, plus Abraham's relatives. And the first thing he does is he sacrifices a tenth of all his spoils from this war to Melchizedek priest of the Most High God. It's the first thing he does when he gets back. When the uh, Israelites were freed from, uh, from Egypt, God commands them to give from the first tenth of everything they make so that they remember that it is God who has enabled them to provide, that it is God who has freed them, who has provided them with land, who has provided them the ability to work. 
You go on to the New Testament and it continues. You see Jesus commend a widow who comes to the temple. She has two copper coins, it says. That's it. That's all she's got to live on. And she gives it at the temple. She sacrifices it willingly. And Jesus doesn't go, man, what a foolish thing for her to do. That was all she had. No, he looks at her and says, that is how you should be giving. He says she has given more than anybody else today because she gave all that she had. Continue on in the New Testament. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians. And he's pointing to the churches in Macedonia. The churches in Macedonia were um, not necessarily well off. They, they actually were, a lot of them were poor as opposed to the people in Corinth. Corinth was a very vibrant city with a lot of trade and a lot of industry. The people there had money. But Paul points to the churches in Macedonia and says, they have given not just according to their means, they have given above their means to the church and to Paul's missionary journeys. And then Paul says to the Corinthians that they should be doing the same. They should be seeking to excel in the same way, giving generously to the church, giving generously to the mission of God. God's Word never discourages us from giving generously to His church. In fact, it commands us to give generously, to give graciously, to give joyfully. Those commands are in there, but you will never find Him commanding you to be stingy when it comes to giving to the church. We're to be called to be generous. And now ideally, both husband and wife are on the same page there, right? We want to give generously. We want to give a bunch to the church. But that's not always the case. Right? And so we need to take a, in a third party account here, right? We need to take what God's word has into consideration and realize that we need to, as a husband and wife who are seeking to glorify God, make sure that we are giving generously to God's church, that we are giving from what he has allowed us to make. You know, sometimes we forget how generous God has been given, has been to us. You know, we forget that it's not just this or that that God has given us, but it's everything, right? God has given us salvation through Jesus. He has given us bodies and minds that are able to work. He has given us jobs where we are able to make money. He provides all of those for us. He has been so generous to us. And so what can we do in response but be generous back? It's what we are called to do. And so in our marriages, as we are working out that budget, as we are discussing those things, this should be primary. One of the first thing we look at, how are we going to give generously because of God has been so generous to us? He has given so graciously to us. And because of what has happened through the local church, look at what has happened in our own lives. Right? I, I was uh, thinking of my own salvation when God used... Uh, a pastor preaching to what? To preach the gospel to me and it hit my heart for the first time. This first time I had gone to this church even. Right? And that was where I came to faith in Jesus. And so we want to give to the church because through the church, God uses men and women to preach the gospel and to proclaim salvation and for people to not just hear it, but to actually believe it. So to be faithful with our money, we must give generously to the church. So we must make sure that money is in its proper place in our marriages, that we're not worshiping it, that we're not placing our trust in it. We must make sure that we are giving faithfully 
generously to the local church in order to be faithful with our money. And next, to be faithful with our money, we have to make sure that we are providing for the needs of our family with our finances. I'd like to tell you that that's an automatic, uh, but in my teaching career, I can definitely tell you it's not an automatic that people use their finances to take, make sure their family's needs are taken care of. You know, I, I've had on many occasions children in clothes that are dirty and torn and don't fit well, uh, who are hungry all the time, who might get one meal a day, and I just would sit there and go, man, that poor kid. And then I meet a parent who walks in and they are dressed to kill. They are dressed in what is good, you know, what, what anybody would say is fashionable. And then I hear about how they were on a vacation that they left their kid behind for at school with their grandparents and they just use all their money on themselves. And I, I don't really think that's a problem. Uh, I, I haven't seen that to be a problem with many people around. But it is something we must be aware of that sometimes we want to be selfish about what we want instead of making sure that we provided for the needs of our family. And that might even extend beyond our own children. Uh, it might extend further out into our household or into our family. Uh, I want to read 1 Timothy 5.8 because it's got a, a strong rebuke if you don't want to be providing for your family. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially those of his own household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's a very serious statement to hear. And it shows us the importance of taking care of our families financially. Now to be clear, it's not an invitation to be supporting the mooch of the family, right? Like, if they are perfectly capable of working and are just choosing not to, that you don't have to be providing for that person. You know, there's other scriptures for, for people like that. Second Thessalonians 3.10, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Okay, so uh, this is not some invitation to just be like, man, my brother, you know, who, and this is not my actual brother, who's a hardworking man, uh, but, you know, my brother doesn't want to work, he needs a place to stay because he has no money, and he needs food and all that. You don't have to take that person in if they're un unwilling to work. So that's not what this is about. But this uh, was said in the context of widows within the church who had families who should have been taking care of them, but were not. And the, you know, that is not honoring to God. Because if you look how God treats His family, us as His children, it has once again been nothing but generous. He has done nothing but provide for His children throughout history. Think about in your own life. Even when it seemed like things were tight, even when it seemed like you might not make it, God has provided for us as His children. And so to be faithful with our finances, we must be like God in this area and we must provide for our family members. You know, if you have a brother or a sister who is not capable of working for whatever reason, you should be providing for them. If you have elderly parents who are no longer capable of working and caring for themselves, you should be trying to care for them and using your finances for that. We do need to make sure that we are taking care of our family members with our money. If we are going to be faithful with our finances, we are going to be 
generous towards our family, making sure we take care of their needs. The key word there is needs too, though. So I don't want to take this to the extreme opposite where now every video game system becomes a need, right? Because that's not true either, right? They don't need all the new, you know, they don't need the the newest Jordans every time they come out. They don't even need the nicest car when they turn 16, right? But we do need to make sure that their needs are being taken care of, that they have the things that they need. Okay, so to be faithful in our finances, we are making sure that we are not worshiping our finances, that we are worshiping God alone, that we are not trusting our finances, but we are trusting God. To be faithful with our finances, we are giving to the local church generously. To be faithful with our finances, we are making sure that the needs of our family are taken care of. To be faithful with our finances also means that we are going to be generous to others with our money. Now that might seem strange because honestly my my natural reaction is like, wait a minute, if I'm giving away money to other people, that doesn't seem like a financially sound thing to do. Uh, Shouldn't I be, you know, having an emergency fund? Shouldn't I be having a retirement account? And my answer is yes, you should have those things. It's not that you shouldn't have those things, but it's not that all of your extra money should be poured into those things when it comes to the end. It's far more important for us actually to be generous to others than it is for us to always make sure we're hoarding for whatever might happen. Right? It's good to have a small emergency fund or you know an emergency fund that can take care of you for a little while. And it is definitely good to have a retirement account because most of us are going to live long past the age that we are able to work and earn a living. But we cannot do those things to the exclusion of being generous. I'm going to be reading a few verses from the book of Proverbs here. Proverbs 14.21 Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Proverbs 14.31 Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Proverbs 19.17 Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and He will repay him for his deed. A generous person honors the Lord. A generous person is blessed by the Lord. Someone who is generous to others is worshiping God, is bringing glory to God by being generous to others. Because it reflects God, our Maker, who once again has been so generous to us. When we are stingy, we're not reflecting how God has been to us. How are we supposed to reflect a generous, loving God when we are not generous ourselves? Proverbs uh, also addresses stingy people. I'll just read one verse on that, but Proverbs 28-22. A stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. See, a person who is stingy is concerned only about this world, about the the things of this world, about the money that they have in this world, and they're not really concerned with the greater riches, spiritual riches, spiritual rewards, eternal rewards in heaven. And so to be stingy in this life is actually to be dishonest with our money. It is to be unfaithful with our money. 
We want to be faithful in our marriages. And again, some of you, uh, I know husband and wife who are both just extremely generous. They are giving all the time. I've been the recipient of that from time to time. Uh, far more often than I deserve, I have to admit it. But people in this church who have given to Sarah and I out of their generosity, and it wasn't like it was a struggle for that couple to do it. And I know it's not a struggle for that couple to do it because I see them do it again and again. Um, <clears throat> And it's just an amazing thing to see that. Now, other people, it might not come so naturally. And so when you sit down to have that money talk with your spouse, even though both of you might want to, we don't want to do that, we can go to God's Word and say, hey, we need to be generous. And so as you're planning out that budget for your week or your month, you're just going to have to take a disciplined approach and say, all right, there's a line item going in, generosity towards others. And again, that's going to be hard and it's not easy because we want to hang on to what all the extra things we have. We want the, you know, extra vacation, the nicer car, the maybe even nicer house, but yet we're called to be generous with our money, to be sacrificial towards others. Because once again, God has been so generous to us and we want to reflect that in our marriages. And so to be faithful with our money, we will be generous towards others. So we want to be faithful in all areas, but especially in our marriage, but especially in money. And we're going to do that in our marriages by not placing our trust and our hope in our money. Our trust and our hope and our worship go to God only in our marriages. We are going to be faithful with our money in our marriages by giving generously to the church We are going to be faithful with our money in our marriages by making sure that the needs of our family are taken care of with our money. We're going to be faithful with our money in our marriages by being generous towards others, showing off how God has been generous to us, being generous to them as well. And we want to do all of this in our marriages so that we aren't just faithful with our money, but so that we're faithful with the greater thing. So that we're faithful with how God has blessed us spiritually. So that we're faithful with how God has gifted us spiritually. Because that's what's ultimately more important. That's the green pin with the gold trim, right? The money of this world is the big pin. And it's good to be faithful with it so that we can be faithful with the more important things, the eternal things, not just our finances. Let's pray.